Uh, Kevin is uh, a former staff person here. He was a pastor here for five years at the church. He's been a missionary for us. He's been serving in the Netherlands for four years, and now he's come back, and he started a new mission uh, experience with the church's support, and he'll be telling you more about that as he gets into the sermon. So let's give a warm woodland hand. Welcome to Kevin Johnson. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here again. Uh, did this about a year ago, and you know, speaking to the Woodland Hills group is is kind of a, you know, on the one hand, it's a little terrifying to stand up here for Greg. Uh, it's it's a little intimidating. On the other hand, uh, you guys are amazing, and so it's really a delight to have the opportunity to do this. Thanks for having me. When my kids were very young, we used to play a great little game. All around the house, we would play hide and seek. I could count to ten, I'd count to ten, and off Kari and Christy, my daughters, would go down in the basement by the water heater or behind the clothes in mom and dad's closet. That was one of their favorite spots, as was under the bed. Now, to add tension to our game, as I would search for them, I'd do this little running commentary. So. I'd say, all right, I'm going to find you guys. Where are you? Are, are you in the closet behind the clothes? No, you're not there. I think I'm going to look under the bed. Are you under the bed? And if they were under there, it wasn't enough for me just to say, okay, I see, I found you. No, that's not the way the game works. I had to get down on my back alongside that bed and slide under those bed rails, kind of do a tummy check as I went under those bed rails. And then once I was fully under the bed, then I could reach out and touch them and say, I got you. At which point they would squeal their delight and their little heels would pound on the floor in excitement. And then the question would come, can we do it again? I moved to Europe, as Dave was saying, I moved to Europe away from Woodland Hills five years ago. You guys sent me out as a missionary, and I was doing some mission work there. And guess what game they play over in Europe? Soccer. I'm seeing some orange out there today. Go Holland. Hop, Holland, hop. Uh, they're playing for their shot at their first World Cup championship this afternoon. But they also play hide-and-seek. I've come to believe it's a universal game. You want to know why I believe that? It's because it's in our genes. Our father and mother got it going a long time ago, and we can read about it in Genesis 3. It goes like this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
The man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so it began. Clever folks, our original parents were, creating a game that would pass from generation to generation to generation, wherein we would find ourselves in the 21st century playing the game that they played. We catch a glimpse of ourselves for who and what we really are, and we hide. My wife, Kathy, and my son, Kenny, and I were, were taking a few minutes uh, one evening just over a week ago uh, just to read some scripture and talk about life and our summer and how it was going and to pray for each other. And Kathy let out in reading a passage that I want to read to you shortly. But as she read this passage, a strange thing happened for me. A sermon just kind of jumped right into my mind. And my wife saw me grinning and she stopped and asked what I was smiling about. And so I told her that this sermon just popped into my head as she was reading these verses, complete with a fun little title. Now, that just doesn't happen to me. Uh, I mean, I'm not in that preaching mode at all with what I'm doing in ministry right now. Uh, since leaving my mission church in the Netherlands a year ago, I have no one to share sermons with. The next day, I get an email from Greg Boyd, and up in the subject line it says, call me ASAP, here's my number. I call him and he says, hey, can you preach this weekend? <laughs> well, yeah. So this morning you get my little brainstorm of a sermon and my fun little title, which is Feudal the Fig Leaf. Feudal the Fig Leaf. I told my wife and son the idea that night, and, and Kenny says, you mean we all are going to have to become nudists? And I laughed. It's like, heavens, no. I mean, no, podcasters, if you're listening in, I want you to know I'm standing here fully clothed today. I lived in a beach town in Europe for four years, and I've been around enough of that, thank you. Uh, but, feudal the fig leaf. You'll catch my drift as we, not my draft, as we move. Oh, gosh, that was bad. Okay, let's just pray before we descend any further. Lord God, I am going to string together some things that we call words. And they're, they're just sounds to the people that hear them this morning. Sounds that, that have meaning, yes but power only if your spirit moves today. And so we're asking for that move of your spirit. Take these words and take the hearts of each person in this room and, and just may those hearts be tender to hear from you and may you give these words power so that we may encounter you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's the deal. When, when little kids try to hide when you're playing the game of hide and seek, they sometimes, some of them have this funny assumption that if they can't see, then they can't be seen, right? It may, maybe you've experienced something like this. I'll never forget Kari hiding right in the middle of our kitchen in Simi Valley, California. I mean, right in the middle of the floor, right between, you know, on this side was the sink and on this side was the oven, and she just stood right there, but she had her eyes scrunched shut. 
and she had her hands tight to her eyes. And as she heard me coming, she declared, you can't see me. He's right there. It's a great memory for me. Here's a great tragedy. Little kids cover their eyes and say, you can't see me. Grown-up kids cover their hearts and say, you can't see me. And the question is begged, why do we do that? I'm still with my mission organization that you sent me out with five years ago. We're called Christian Associates. And my current focus right now is, is starting new churches in Ireland and England and Scotland. And if you want to know more about all of that, I'd love to talk to you after the service. But these islands were once pillars of the faith globally, and now they're desolate spiritually, like the rest of Europe. Many of the ancient monasteries that you could visit in these islands now host uh, more new, some fairly out there new age groups than they do host followers of Jesus Christ. So we are focused on reestablishing the beautiful, radical kingdom of Jesus Christ in the lives of people in Europe, and me specifically working with people in the UK and Ireland. But people from the British Isles are masters at hiding their hearts. They, sing, they say things like this, you know, we're civilized. You know, there is such a thing as decorum. Things aren't supposed to be personal. Never reveal too much about yourself. Hide yourself in your work. Hide yourself in your kids, in your stuff, whatever it may be. Just hide. In the Netherlands, and I've, I've mentioned this before here, in the Netherlands there is a crisis that is actually a, a medical epidemic. And it's an affliction that hits a lot of people, but primarily young women in their 20s. They live in this, they grew up in this society that is very harsh and very private and very unaffirming. And, and so these women in their 20s, they just find as they move into adulthood, their insides are all messed up. They're just full of turmoil. So much so that it makes it hard for them to function in society. And so the medical people say it's an epidemic and they just call it burnout. But what it is, is hidden hearts. Because hidden hearts are hurting hearts. And, and they just feel they have nowhere to go with their stuff. But don't think it's just Europe. You, well, you know better. You ever feel the pressure to look good? You ever notice that you tend to do little things that manage what others think about you? Well, that, in some way, is hiding. I was a master at all of this. I was what you would call a people pleaser, a consummate people pleaser. I wanted you to like me, especially if you were in my church. Not that I would be deliberately deceitful, I was a pretty good guy. But I needed to make sure that you thought I was a pretty good guy. And nice. And spiritual. And, and caring. And smart. And on and on. So much so that I, I worked just incredibly hard at managing what others thought about me. And so when I found myself in a church of several hundred people, 
That became pretty hard to manage. I was on the inside a wreck. I was full of anxiety and confusion. And, and in some ways, I just wanted to bust out and say, you know, I'm really a selfish jerk and I'm sick of being duplicitous. I might look secure, but I'm not. I'm insecure. I might look pious, but I'm not on the inside. Just like me for who I am, warts and all, would you? But I couldn't. So you know what I did? I grabbed a big fig leaf called Successful Pastor. And I hid. And I crashed. Living like that messed me up so much I had to leave ministry. And broken I came before the throne of God and, oh man, I was laid bare. It was, it was like this. The words of scripture that Kathy read that sparked this whole message, uh, uh, the part of our key text for today, which is found in, in, in Hebrews 4, part of our key text goes like this. Indeed, the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden. But all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. My little house of cards had tumbled in. Or better yet, perhaps, my, my little fig leaf outfit was consumed by the flaming reality of who I was on the inside. And naked before the throne I fell, and I gotta tell you, I was terrified. I had been living for the approval of others. I wasn't secure in my own self. Well, for a while that worked really well because the ministry I was involved in was successful. So there was always lots of approval and praise. But when it all fell down and I could no longer hide behind the ministry I accomplished, I was horrified to look at what was left, much less bring it before Jesus. But here's the good news. I haven't finished reading our text for the morning. If I just stopped with the verses I previously read, it's like, whoa, that's a bit intimidating. Before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. It doesn't end there. The next words are these. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You will find now that this sermon today, I guess in a way, is going to be an extension of the Prodigal God series that Greg finished last week. 
I approached the throne like my dog Sammy when she's scared, that tail all the way between her legs, just cowering, because I, I despised myself, and I could only conclude that God must despise me as well. <laughs> Hallelujah, I was wrong. See, here's the thing. I knew about God's grace and mercy. I taught about God's grace and mercy. I spun a great yarn about how I stepped into that grace and mercy as an eight, lonely 18-year-old boy all those years ago. And yeah, I was naked then, but, but, but I had gotten used to the robes of ministry. Grace and mercy were for me to dispense to others. But in that spot 14 years ago, when I needed it more than when I was 18, thankfully, God was still God. And that is a God of love and mercy and grace. Being embraced by God at that low point in my life was, was such a life-changing experience for me. I mean, suddenly gone was this compulsion to seek the approval of others. If I could kneel before the throne so exposed and wounded and ashamed and receive grace and mercy and love as I was, not as I wanted others to see me, from God himself, what difference does it make what others think of me? So the pendulum swung coming out of that traumatic experience. I found that I, could, I couldn't care less. Kathy had to coach me in social situations for a while because I was finally free to be brutally honest with people. So someone would say, hey, Kev, how you doing today? Wonderful. Well, why so wonderful? Because for the first time in my life, I don't give a rip what you think about me. <laughs> Not a great conversation starter, that. I learned in time not to use my newfound freedom willy-nilly, but what I really learned and what has changed my life is the joy of just being me. The real me, warts and all. Not that God's finished with me. Yeah, he's still working. There's still, there's still a goal there. But you know what? I can right now just be me as I am. Even the scary parts. And I can come before his throne naked and unashamed and receive love and grace and mercy. Hallelujah. Amen. See, now, let me just say this, parenthetically perhaps. The danger I, I have is, for you is that some of you are sitting there today whispering a prayer for someone else in this room right now. Or wishing so-and-so were here. Oh, they need to hear this. Well, that's nice, but what about you? Can we just say that the ideas in our text today are not meant to be a one-time initiation experience, but a pattern or a posture of life in Christ before God? And so if you're here today and these, these ideas are new to you, plunge in, explore them, talk to us afterwards. Uh, there is a, a, a realm of life that is so liberating to be who we are and be loved and receive mercy and grace. 
But if you're a fervent follower of Jesus, well, I invite you to the very same thing. See, there are only, really only two things that keep us from God. Two things that keep us from him. One is an inaccurate view of God. But a second thing is an accurate view of ourself. Here's the point. Neither should keep you from him. Don't let either of these things keep you from him. Adam and Eve sewed together some fig leaves. In the verses that I started out with, I don't know if you noticed this, but the curious thing is, before God ever encountered them in the garden, they went ahead and made themselves some garments out of the, the leaves, right? Uh, and they still felt naked, even though they were clothed. Before God, they still wanted to hide. That's because one of the problems with our fallen state is we have a fallen picture of who God is. I, I think of, of the seeing eye of Sauron from the Lord of the Rings. You know, this flaming eye perched atop a pillar on top of a mountain that could look this way and that way and, and search out us poor little hobbitses to meet out our destruction. That is a very fallen picture of God. Back when I played hide-and-seek with Kari and Christy, after I found them, of course, it was their turn to be it. And being the sinister father that I was, I liked to heighten the tension of their looking for me by jumping out and scaring them just as they were about to find me. Now, they knew it was me. And I'm not so evil. I'm actually a pretty loving dad. I wasn't going to hurt them or anything, but they still found this terrifying. Poor Christy especially. She would look for me saying, Dad, don't jump out at me. Don't scare me. And of course, I would listen to her. It helped me time when to jump. Now. Why would that be so terrifying to a little girl who knew she was the apple of her dad's eye? Why do we find it so hard to be honest and unafraid before God? We've been talking lots about the prodigal father. How he stood on that hill in the story of the prodigal son. How he stood on that hill and the moment he saw his wayward son, he ran to him. He loved on him lavishly. He forgave all and he threw a big party. Now, we might say that father is kind of blindly loving, maybe even a bit enabling. I mean, there's no accounting of the money, where or how it was spent. You could say that he was willing to just be blissfully ignorant now that his son is back. Don't, don't worry about the details. I don't need to know the bits and pieces. I'm just glad my son is back. And we can all relate to this. I know we can all relate to this. Sons and daughters, there are things that you just don't want your mom and dad to know, right? Huh? And moms and dads, you've got some adult kids perhaps. You're a little curious, but you really don't want to know all the gory details, do you? I mean, if things are good now, what difference does it make? We can just, we can just move forward from here. Okay, that's fine and good. 
You can all have a good relationship just moving forward. I just don't want you to think of your heavenly father in that way because it is not the same. To use the story of the prodigal son, it would be like this. The father standing on that hill and he knew. He not only knew that his son walked home carrying sexually transmitted disease, he, know with who, he knows with whom it was contracted and what his symptoms are and the whole bit. It's not just that he knew a large part of his estate was now gone forever. He knew in whose pocket every penny sat. The bartender, the gambler, the prostitute, whatever. He knew his boy had been envying the pigs that he had been feeding the slop to. And he came home naked and ashamed. He knew absolutely everything about his son. And he ran to him. We can't grasp the significance of that in the 21st century. But those words that Jesus tells in that parable, that, that he ran to him, to the first century hears was the most radical thing he said in that whole story. Why? Because a landed person of wealth who had an estate, had property, was a, was a person of dignity, a person of respect in the community, and, and he would never, ever be seen to run. His estate could be burning to the ground, and he would bark orders to his servants. They'd all be running, but he would only walk, never run. So what Jesus is saying is, we have a father who knows and sees everything, and he runs to you. That, my friends, is some serious good news. Before God, the fig leaves are futile, but that's okay, because the God who knows and sees all, even the depths of the human heart, has made a way for us to come to him naked and unashamed through the work of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather approach a God who sees everything about me, every nook and cranny, who understands me better than I understand myself, right down to the tiniest detail of my soul, and who loves me even still and wants to work in and through me as I am. I would much rather follow a God like that than to approach a God who is simply willing to turn a blind eye to all my ugliness. Now that God would be good, but the real one is better. King David prays a bold prayer in Psalm 139. Um, you know, our Hebrews text says that we can approach the throne boldly. And again, we in America in the 21st century have a hard time grasping that, this throne bit. When have you ever approached a throne? Well, we can look back to Esther in the Old Testament. Esther was the queen, married to the king. And when she had to approach the king on his throne, she trembled. She feared for her life at the thought because she knew that the king, her husband, her very own husband, could just flip his hand this way and it would be off with her head. Flip his hand this way and maybe he'd grant her request. But we 
can approach the throne of God as David does in Psalm 139. I'm going to read some of the verses. I've kind of just made a little summary of the Psalm 139 text. It goes like this. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I can't grasp it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's a courageous prayer. Search me, O God. I'm here before you. It's not like that invitation to search you. Shows him anything new. He knows everything about you. It just, he recognizes your willingness to receive his love and grace and mercy. Search me, O God. Here I am before you do the courageous work I cannot do. I trust you, my good and loving God. I said two things that there are that keep us from God. One is a faulty sense of who God is, but the other is an accurate sense of who we are. But I don't want that to keep us from him either. See, there's a reason our original parents hid. And there are reasons our reflexes to hide. It's not pretty in there. But God is good. Don't let your stuff keep you from love. There's a funny thing about the game we all play. Someone has to be it, right? When you say, okay, we're going to play hide and seek, all the little kids say, not it, not it, not it, not it. Somebody's got to be it. And you'd think after playing this game for thousands of years, we'd come up with a better word than it, wouldn't you? I mean, we could, who wants to be the sleuth? Who wants to be the finder, the seeker? I don't know. We could have come up with something, but it's just it. And so with you and me and everyone else hiding behind our fig leaves, God said, okay, I will be it. I'll come as a little baby. I'll walk your roads with you. I'll share your meals. I'll feel what you feel. I will know what you know. I will be it. I will give my life for you on the cross. I will come and I won't just see you. I will touch you. And that is why the writer of Hebrews tells, calls Jesus the high priest. He is the one whose work enables us to come before God unafraid. A woman was walking the coast of South Carolina and she happened upon an enormous 
300-pound loggerhead turtle who was laying her eggs on the beach. The woman later went back just to kind of check on things, and she saw that the trail in the sand from the nest led away from the water and up into the sand dunes. The, 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 this massive turtle was going the wrong direction. Well, she went up and found this turtle up in the dunes, and it, it could no longer move. It was so hot and dehydrated, it, it was probably close to death. So the woman decided to help. She covered the turtle with seaweed, and then she poured some cool seawater over it. Then she went and found the park ranger. The ranger did something very alarming. He drove up in his Jeep, and he promptly got out of his truck and flipped this massive turtle over onto her back shell. And then he went and got some chains out of his Jeep, and he wrapped the chains around her front legs, or flippers, I suppose you'd call them, and then attached the chain to the trailer hitch of his Jeep. Then he began to drag the turtle upside down through the hot sand. As he drove and the turtle dragged, sand piled into her head, choking her mouth and making it look like it would snap her neck. At the edge of the ocean, the ranger stopped. He removed the chains, he flipped her over, and stepped away. She didn't move. She couldn't. But gently, the waves began to lap at her body. And gradually, the cool waves began to soothe her. And since the tide was coming in, they got greater and greater. And as they increased, more and more she was revived. And these waves began to wash over her. And as she revived, she began to move until finally she pushed off into the water and was gone. I want you to think of God in that way. You may feel as though life is going in the wrong direction and it's overheated and flipped upside down and leaving you with a sore neck and a mouthful of hot sand. But God is the gentle waves washing and restoring, reviving and renewing and lifting and empowering and giving us new life. The fig leaf is futile. Not just because God sees you anyway. It is futile because there is so much more. It's because he who sees you, it is he who sees you that longs for you to come and let him be those gentle waves. of love and grace and mercy as you are right now. Which is why in Hebrews 4, the writer of Hebrews adds one more thought, and it is this. Today, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Pray with me. 
Lord God, would you give us all a couple of pictures deep in our soul? One is the reality that we can come as we are, no matter what we bring. And because of Jesus Christ, we can receive love and grace and mercy. And would you give us a picture that when we have the courage to do that, you are those gentle waves of love washing over us and renewing and restoring us. Because Lord, we need that. Do your good work in your people. That is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for letting me share with you this morning. I want to say that there are prayer teams coming up to the front even now. So uh, if you would like to receive some prayer ministry this morning, uh, be blessed to come forward and, and receive prayer. Thanks again. God bless you.